New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Dean Slider, author of The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature. And I'm speaking with Dean at his home by remote connection. Welcome, Dean, to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thanks so much, Justine. You know, because of your background in meditation and your many, many years of teaching literature, the literature of enlightenment, you have a certain eye for hidden messages and references of enlightenment in classic literature. And I'd love to talk about some of the examples of that that you point out in your book. And maybe we could pick out one. What about J.D. Salinger and Catcher in the Rye? You know, there are two kinds of writers, really, that I write about in in my book. The few of them, like Salinger, who are explicit, who are right up front about the spiritual dimension uh, of life. And and then others where it's more, as you say, more hidden, more implicit, things like The Cat in the Hat or Macbeth, that starts off with the witches saying, fair is foul and foul is fair. Now, that's a real head scratcher for a lot of people. But for instance, if you read Buddhist texts, as I know you have, you go, fair is foul and foul is fair. That sounds a whole lot like form is no other than emptiness. Emptiness is no other than form. That's the Heart Sutra. And that turns out the failure to recognize that equivalency of opposites turns out to be exactly the root of Macbeth's problem. But getting on to, to Salinger, uh, if we look at one of his, uh, his, his later books, Franny and Zooey, these two stories are The Further Adventures of the Glass Family, which is this remarkable bunch of siblings. They're all geniuses. They're all in their time contestants, star contestants on a quiz show called It's a Wise Child. But also, they're all budding mystics. Their oldest brother, Seymour, and the second oldest brother, Buddy, early on took it upon themselves to provide spiritual education for the younger brothers and sisters. Now, Franny is a beautiful actress, uh, but she has a crisis. And the, the first of the two stories in the book, Franny and Zooey, uh, Franny has has decided that doing what she's doing, acting is just pointless. And that actually is a bit of a of a hidden message or a pun, because it's not only about acting on the stage, which most of us are never going to do, but what all of us face is the prospect of acting in the world, of taking action in the world. And I think all of us are Probably most people who are, you know, have a certain kind of sensitivity have times that it seems like, what's the point? You mm-hmm. know, the people that I'm trying to do this stuff for are so shallow and vapid. They're never going to appreciate it. There's just, just, just what is the point of taking action? I make reference to this a few times in the book. This connects us to the message of the Bhagavad Gita 
which starts off with the great warrior, Arjun of the warrior, just before this cataclysmic battle, throws down his bow and arrow and says, it's pointless, I'm, I'm not going to fight. Now, fortunately for Arjuna, his, his charioteer is, is God, is in the form of Krishna, who then explains to him what's what in 18 chapters. But all of it boils down to one verse. Chapter 2, verse 48 of the Bhagavad Gita says, Yogasta Kuru Karmani. Yogasta Kuru Karmani. Yogasta, yoga, union, right? And not just union of the head with the knee, you're doing some postures. Yoga means the union of the individuality with infinity, which is what we truly are. In other words, enlightenment. So yoga sta, and sta as in English means established, right? So many of us think of the glimpses of infinity, the glimpses of the boundlessness that we get in meditation or walking through the woods, or when you go into the zone, as they say, when you're, you're running or playing tennis or whatever it is. And so that's lovely, but yoga sta, established in yoga, that's really what serious uh, Dharma practitioners, serious meditators all want, where we're established in that. Then you're established in, in yoga, kuru karmani. Kuru karmani means do your deeds, act your actions, take care of business, kick the butts that need to be kicked, take care of business, right? Because when we're established in, in the infinite, then we're really ready to act in the matrix of time and space. We're ready to act in the finite because we're no longer acting to find fulfillment in time and space, in the finite. We are acting from fulfillment. We're not going around like little Oliver Twist with his little empty bowl, please, sir, I want some more. It's like now our cup runneth over. And that becomes the nature of our action. Now, Salinger picks this up in Franny and Zooey. Franny is having this crisis. I don't want to act anymore. I don't want to be in the world. Maybe I'll run away and you know be a monk somewhere. And her brother, Zooey, tells her a story about the time that he, as a young boy, was getting ready to go on It's a Wise Child, this radio quiz show. And their eldest brother, Seymour, who was the family guru, tells him, well, before you go on the radio, you got to shine your shoes. And Zooey <laughs> says to him, well, why would I shine my shoes to go on radio? No one can see your shoes on radio. And Seymour tells him, shine your shoes for the fat lady. No explanation. But now Zooey goes on about this to Franny. He says, Seymour never explained who the fat lady was, but Zooey had his own vision of her. So now I'm going to read from Franny and Zooey. So Zooey says, I had her sitting on this porch all day, swatting flies with her radio going full blast from morning till night. I figured the heat was terrible and she probably had cancer. And then I say in, in my commentary, at the same time, considering Seymour's cosmic perspective, it's tempting to connect the fat lady with God, the mother, the infinitely voluptuous one who in the ancient traditions births us all feeds us all, is us all. 
And I have a picture of the Venus of Willendorf, who is this wonderful, voluptuous, ancient uh, um, uh, goddess. One of the very first uh, goddess icons they've ever discovered. Yes, it's a Paleolithic limestone figurine. Zooey tells Franny to act for the fat lady. Then, talking to himself as much as to her, as all spiritual teachers do, by the way, he adds something that may be helpful to remember when we find our fellow earthlings unbearably vapid and our life on earth weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable. That's a line I stole from Hamlet, by the way. <laughs> so, so Zooey tells Franny, there isn't anyone anywhere that isn't Seymour's fat lady. Don't you know that? Don't you know that goddamn secret yet? And don't you know, listen to me now, don't you know who that fat lady really is? Ah, buddy. Ah, buddy. It's Christ himself. Christ himself, buddy. Mm. Ah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so there it is. That's so perfect. I want to stop, but my nature is to keep going, if I may. When you take us into Huck Finn and you take him on this journey, and it's like the Gautama Buddha is mm-hmm. taking a journey and he leaves his home and he goes off. And, you know, we're all trekking together. And, and you have given us a moment where you share this wonderful, deep, classic and not so classic because, I mean, you've included the cat in the hat, the cat Rogers in the and hat, Hammersteins, uh, uh, right, Oklahoma, Oklahoma Flatland, uh, the delightful little crazy science fiction novella, Flatland. Exactly. Yeah. So I just want to ask you about how when we read this, it's not explicit. And that's what you do so well, because the spiritual path is not explicit in most of this literature. Mm-hmm. Yet it is so vividly portrayed in so many ways. And it speaks to us kind of like poetry when we are really grabbed by a poem. It bypasses the head and bypasses the intellect and just goes straight to the heart or the gut. Yes, straight to the senses. Bypassing the mind is usually a good idea. You know, and that's why I have chapters on several of my favorite poets. I have Keats, Dunn, Coleridge, Blake, uh, Whitman, Emily Dickinson. She is it. She is all that. Emily Dickinson will tell you everything you need to know about how to meditate. She says, not knowing when the dawn will come, I open every door. That's how to meditate. That's straight out of St. Paul saying the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, right? You can't make nirvana happen. You can't invite the thief in. You just sit very quietly and leave all your doors and windows wide open so the thief can get in. And then we were so deeply moved by that. And as you say, we don't have to know why. Right, right. I remember Sir Lawrence Vanderpost once said, why is a demented question? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I remember one of the great Kirtan singers, uh, I don't remember if it was Krishna Das or Sham Das, talking about how when he first went to India and first learned to chant the mantras and had not learned yet anything about their meaning, that's when he enjoyed them the most. 
You know, that reminds me of why I have enjoyed some of the mantras that are using Sanskrit Mm -hmm. rather than English. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we have these songs in the Anglican church, let's say, or the Episcopal church and different hymns that we have, and they're in English. And I think why I like the Tibetan chants is that That you don't speak Tibetan. I don't speak Tibetan. (laughs) You know, arguably, one of the biggest mistakes the Catholic Church made was when they got rid of the Latin. They said, well, no one understands the Latin. Exactly. That's the point. That's what it's for. I am so with you on that. It's just so true. What you're doing is that you're tapping into hundreds, even thousands of years of millions of people who have been chanting this chant, and there's a power in that. Yes, a resonance. Those mantras have been resonating down the corridor of time. But you know what they call the beej mantras, the seed syllables that are, you know, where the real power kernels are. They don't really have meaning even in Tibetan or Sanskrit. The three key seed syllables in the Tibetan practice and Vajrayana practice, as you know, Omahum, there's no translation for that. It's Oma Hung. If you ask the Lama, what does that mean? He'll tell you it means the experience that you have when you chant the mantra. Right. I'm so glad you said that. Absolutely. And I want to say that in this book, Dharma Bomb's Guide to Western Literature, you take us to that essence of the awakening, the search, the longing, the impulse to awaken. It's there everywhere. It's Estragon and Vladimir waiting for Godot. It's Blake's sunflower, weary of time, who counts the steps of the sun, seeking after that sweet golden climb where the traveler's journey is done. That's every one of us. We are the sunflower yearning for the sun. But as I point out, the great revelation is that it's called a sunflower because it looks like the sun. It contains that word sun in its name. You are the sunflower and you are the sun that you are seeking. And I think that you point out in the book too, it's why Van Gogh painted sunflowers over and over and over again. There's so much there that's beyond the intellect and goes right to true wisdom and truth and what we're truly seeking to obtain. And and that search goes on, doesn't it? It's not like we're going to arrive someplace and, oh, now I'm enlightened. It's not about that. And that since we're going to be doing this for a while, it's just delightful. One thing I always recommended to my students when when I taught English was memorize at least one great poem in your life. Something happens once it's memorized, once it's gone off the page and gone inside you, it's germinating there somewhere. And then one day you're going to be walking down the street or you're going to be sitting, you know, you may be sitting on a curbside drunk or or high, or you may be in the middle of a meditation retreat and suddenly it comes to you in Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea. And that makes your life richer. 
and you make our life richer. <laughs> oh, I want to thank you so much, so much, Dean, for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you so much. Thank you, Justine. You are so much fun to play with. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dean Slider, author of The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature. And if you want to find out more about his work, you can go to deanslider.com. And he spells his name Dean, D-E-A-N, Slider, S-L-U-Y-T-E-R. U-Y. I'm just emphasizing it for the listeners. You like universal... Yogi, you why? Yo, That's the there, hard part. You why? That is the hard part. Uh, Dean Slider, S L U Y T E R dot com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org, where you'll find over 1,700 other programs. I'm Justine Willis Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. And I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.